This morning, I, I want to just take some time as we look here in, in 1 Samuel, and we, we move forward in this study, but this particular section of Scripture is interesting. It's a, I think all of Scripture is interesting, but this one is, is actually, I think, rather fascinating because we don't spend a lot of time looking at the enemy of God. Because we understand from Scripture that the enemy of God is under the authority of God. Some of you are familiar with names like John Wycliffe and William Tinsdale. uh, John Wycliffe is best known for the Wycliffe Bible Commentary. Some of you may use that. It's a practical commentary. So if you purchase a commentary that is for not an academic kind of commentary to help with Scripture, the Wycliffe Bible Commentary is one that's been known for years. The Tyndale series is the same thing. It's a commentary that's been used wonderfully uh, throughout. Um, It's easy to read. It's conversational and devotional by nature. And they're wonderful commentary series. But the truth is, is that most people don't realize that both John Wycliffe and William Tinsdale were both martyrs for the Christian faith. They both died at the hands of others because of their Christian faith. And for the fact that In fact, John Wycliffe himself, while he didn't actually die in terms of being burned at the stake, he was persecuted throughout his faith, and he was hated so much that once he died, they exhumed his body after it had been buried so they could burn it as a sign of desecration. Others of you might have heard the names Jim Elliott, or Ed McCauley, or Nate Saint, or Pete Fleming, or Roger Udarian, and... They were the five missionaries on January 8, 1956, who were murdered by the Alka tribe in the Ecuadorian jungle. And as a result of their deaths and the faithfulness of their spouses to proclaim the gospel, that tribe turned their hearts towards the Lord. More recently, on the night of January 17th, or excuse me, of January 7th, 2010, a group of eight Egyptian Christians were killed as they left their church after celebrating a Christmas mass in Nag Hammadi, Egypt. The attack was carried out by militant Islamic individuals who were seeking vengeance for an alleged crime against a Muslim girl by a person who claimed to be a Christian. None of the men who were killed were associated with the man. Well, in 1 Samuel 22, 1 through 23, we witness the martyrdom of a priest named Ahimelech. And for many people, questions arise from how can God allow this to how can we stand confidently on our faith in the midst of persecution? And the truth is that ultimately, where we find our source of refuge will be the determining factor in how we respond to attacks by the enemy. See that again. Ultimately, where we find our source of refuge will be the determining factor in how we respond to attacks from the enemy. So let's go ahead and look at this passage together. We'll stand and read it together. It's 1 Samuel 22. We're going to go through the entirety of this passage, verses 1 through 23. This is what it says. So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them, and there were with him about 400 men. 
And David went from there to Mitzbev Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Depart. Excuse me. Sorry about that. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. Now Saul heard that David was discovered and the men who were with him. Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, people of Benjamin. Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds that all of you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. Then answered Dog the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Then the king sent to summon the Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house. The priests who were at Nob and all of them came to the king. And Saul said, Here now, son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, Lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, and that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him, so that he has risen against me to lie in wait as at this day? Then Ahimelech answered the king, And who among all your servants is so faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law and captain over your bodyguard and honored in your house? Is today the first time that I've inquired of God for him? No. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father, for your servant has known nothing of all this, much or little. And the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord. Because their hand also was with David, and they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Dog, you turn and strike the priests. And Dog the Enamite turned and struck down the priests, and he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword, both man and woman, child and infant, ox and donkey and sheep, he put to the sword. But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Dog the Enamite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me. Do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me... You shall be in safekeeping. Let's pray. Lord God, those last words resonate with us. With me, you shall be in safekeeping. Father, I pray that you would embolden our spirits this morning. I pray that your spirit would move amongst us this morning in a way where our hearts are 
are pricked, where our Where desires are moved towards you. Lord God, as we look at your scripture this morning, may may ourselves be removed from this. May the, the concerns of our flesh, the concerns of this life be put aside. And may you be the one that is speaking, that has our attention this morning. Spirit, we ask that you would come in power. Father, may our hearts be completely submitted to you. And Lord, we thank you for the power of your word to change and to lead and guide us. And Lord, we thank you for this story that you've given us, this truth that you've given us of Ahimelech who stood boldly and who is an example of one committed to your truth. Father, may we find our refuge in you this morning. For those who may be doubting your truth and the truth of your Son, May they hear your word, and may their eyes be opened as you encounter them with your grace. For those who have already sought to follow you, may we be moved to walk with boldness in the refuge of our Savior Christ. And we ask this in your name. Amen. The heart of this passage is one that I, I find completely appropriate for Memorial Day. As we remember those that have lost, those who have lost in battle for our country, today is a different kind of Memorial Day. It's a day that we celebrate Christ. And in this passage, we remember those who have died for the sake of Christ. And as those who have died for the sake of Christ, we remind ourselves that Christ died for us. And a little while after we're Look at the word, we're going to take communion together. And every communion Sunday is a memorial day. It's a remembrance of the work that Jesus has done on the cross. And so at the heart of 1 Samuel 22 is the truth that finding refuge in the true king is our hope in salvation when facing attacks by his enemies. Finding refuge in the true king is our hope in salvation when facing attacks by his enemies. Refuge and hope. We won't have hope unless we're finding refuge in the true king. In fact, in verses 1 through 2, it says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Now, Adullam 
literally means refuge. It says, and when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul or discontent gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. What a wonderful picture. A picture of these men that were coming down as David fled He had fled into this cave of refuge from King Agish that was looking to to harm him, to take his life, and he flees, and he comes to this cave, and he finds refuge in this cave, and then his brothers come and find him and find refuge with him, and those who are in distress, and those who are in debt, and those who are discontent, bitter of soul, Come in and find refuge with David. The truth is, is what a picture that is of the kingdom that we have with Christ, the relationship that we have, that Christ has called us to him, not as the, the, those who are coming, not just completely encouraged and those who are coming wealthy and life is good. But what he's saying is, listen, I want you to come as the brokenhearted. I want you to see your sin and find that the things of this life will never bring you the fulfillment and contentment that only I can bring. And so David becomes a commander to the discouraged and the hopeless. The truth is, is if we understand the depth of our own sin, it should produce in us a hopelessness and a discouragement. If I understand that the wage of sin is death and there is nothing that I can do to make me righteous, that in and of itself should actually show me that I am hopeless. And when I am hopeless, that is discouraging, is it not? But the beauty is that God has given a different way, and that's through Jesus Christ. And in this particular case, these discouraged and hopeless men are coming to the anointed king. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, tells us something. It says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now what you don't have in this passage is David watching these guys come in the cave and David goes, I gotta get out of here. Like, think about that for a minute. This doesn't seem to be the fun-loving bunch. They're discontent, they're distressed, and they're in debt. They're stressed out, they're worried about money, and nothing's making them happy, and they're all in a cave together. If I'm David, I'm gone. And David stays in there and says, hey, 
join. That's what Jesus has done for us. We've come to him as hopeless and discouraged people. That's why we have to understand our sin first. Because unless we understand that we're sinners apart from God, apart from his grace, we'll never really see our need for Jesus. Jesus is just the nice add-on of our life. But Jesus becomes our sole hope, and he becomes our sole encouragement. And when I say soul here, I mean S-O-L-E as singular and S-O-U-L as heart. See, although discouraged, these people come, these men come in response to David. They know that David is their place of refuge, not Saul. Now something happens here. It says, And David went from there to Mitzpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. Now here's the thing. You can serve the Lord and still have concern for your family. Here's what he didn't call you to do. He didn't call you to simply play it safe when God has called you to go someplace. He didn't say your number one priority is the safety of your family. He said the number one priority is to follow me. Now that's important. It means that we can have concern for our family. David does right here. In fact, he asked the king of Moab if his parents can stay with him. Fantastic. But notice what it says. And he left them with the king, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Now, this is the part that gets a little interesting. It says, Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. That means his parents went with him. As soon as he figured out what God was doing, his family went with him. His mom and dad went with him. Even into an area of danger. Now, the other part of that is this. We don't know much about the prophet Gad. But what we do know is that David and his ragtag bunch of soldiers are willing to go together because they're still hearing the voice of God. The fact that the prophet Gad is speaking to them is an affirmation that God is at work, that God is still speaking. And when we are desperate, when we are hopeless, when we are discouraged, and we come to Christ, we can be assured that God is still speaking and God is still working. He is our true refuge. And so these men follow David Because God is speaking. Now, you can imagine these men, they've already experienced Saul and his wrath. But what we begin to see is a picture here of the truth about the enemies of God. 
And there's three specific truths that come out of this about the enemies of the true king. The true king. See, Saul is actually no longer, he's serving his king, but God is no longer working with him. God is speaking to David. David is the anointed king. And so we see these truths about the enemies of the true king. The first is that it affirms the scriptures. In verses 6 through 10, it says, And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Here now, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, that all of you have conspired against me? See, Saul is continuing to grow in his paranoia and hatred towards David. In fact, as he sits under the tamarisk tree, he does so with a spear in his hand. Now that tamarisk tree, that was to be a place of rest. Saul's not resting. He's got a spear in his hand. He's trying to rest. It's like a soldier trying to sleep in a foxhole. You get sleep wherever you get it, but it's not real rest. My brother-in-law was a, a, a naval officer with the Marine Corps in Kosovo and Bosnia, and I remember him sharing that on his night missions, he said, Tim, literally the four of us inside of our plane would sleep for three hours to the border, none of us awake, because you tried to sleep wherever you could get it. And he said, we'd set our watches, and we had the airplane on autopilot, and we figured and we hoped that nobody else was out there. But we knew we needed our rest. And when they got to the border, then they would fly in and fly their mission, turn around and come back out. He's like, I said, could you sleep? And he's like, well, you really wouldn't call it sleep. You just kind of sat in a half daze. Right? That's what Saul's in. Saul's in this kind of discomfortable, that kind of rest that actually leaves you more tired. That you, you're kind of half asleep, but you're not, and now you're more exhausted, but you really aren't rested? He's sitting there with a spear in his hand. He's paranoid. The enemies of God are never at rest. They're never at rest. And see, Saul trusts no one, and he begins to try to manipulate and blame his servants and in verse 7 and 8, he says, Here now will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards. And he goes down and he says, No one discloses to me when my son, and none of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. He begins having a pity party for himself. Your loyalty should be to me. Well, amazingly, it works. You see, there will always be someone willing to take up the cause of God's enemies and fight for him. It doesn't matter if you're in Sonoma County or in Bosnia or in the Sudan or in Nevada or New York or Ohio. The same enemy that fights against us here is the same enemy that fights against us there. You see, Dog discloses everything to Saul. Everything. Dog had witnessed David in the temple, and if you remember that, or in the tabernacle, and if you remember last week, there was this little tiny sub note in there that said, and Dog the Edomite was 
held there by God and witnessed David's interaction with Himelech. Well, now we know why. Because Dog is seeking the favor of the earthly king. And he has sold out David. But more importantly, he sold out Ahimelech as well. One commentator puts it this way. He says, there's an antichrist and there are antichrists. In the course of history, there are antichrist figures who prefigure the full embodiment of evil to come. But another premier characteristic of the antichrist figure is that he opposes, enters into conflict with, and seeks to crush the people of God. So how is scriptural affirmed? Well, 1 John 2, 18 through 19 says this, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come already. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. Do you realize that when we see the enemy of God at work, it actually confirms the scripture? It actually should provide us greater hope that God is still working and that his word is true. I'm afraid sometimes when we see the enemy of God, we we need to grieve the loss and we need to grieve the work of God of the enemy and the destruction that the enemy can cause, but we need to be reminded that God's word is true and that each one of these acts are reminders that his words are true. That each one of these acts actually proclaim the truth of his word. What an opportunity we have with the lost to share. Do you realize this is what scripture says? This was to actually be predicted And when we're debating whether there's evil in the world or not, the scripture actually said this day would come. The enemies of God, even in their destruction, proclaim the truth of God. Isn't that amazing? The enemies of God, even in their destruction, proclaim the truth of God. Revelation 13, 7 points out what this kind of antichrist figure is doing or will do. It says, also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. You can't get away from it. You can only find refuge. That's the beauty. You can't get away from it. You can only find refuge. And so when we're running from one place to the next thinking, oh, this will be better. There's not as much spiritual warfare here. Be leery. Be leery. We can understand it, can't we? We love the people around us. And when we see them harmed by the schemes of the enemy, it angers us. But I want to encourage you Don't buy the lie that a change of location will change the situation. 
because the only thing that changes the situation is the source of your refuge. The only thing that changes the nature of the situation is the source of your refuge. The second truth about the enemies of the true king is that they impute, they impute their hate of the true king to his priests or his believers. They impute their hate of the true king to his priests or believers. Once Dog has disclosed that Amalek was with David and Nob, he immediately calls for Ahimelech to come to him and accuses him of conspiring against him. Now notice how Ahimelech responds to Saul's accusation. It says, Then Ahimelech answered the king, And who among all your servants is so faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law and captain over your bodyguard and honored in your house? Ahimelech realizes that he is not the offense to Saul, but rather David is the offense. And so he immediately appeals to the personhood and character of David. He says, and who among all your servants is so faithful? He appeals to Christ. Ever been attacked for your faith? Ever had people just decide that because you're a Christian, they're going to debate with you and argue with you? I remember doing a memorial service for my grandfather in 2004 or three, out in the Central Valley. And one of the individuals that was there was a friend of, of my dad's, and he was invited over to the house afterwards to kind of share with us. And we're sitting down, and he looks at me, and he said, what's this whole thing about Jesus about? So I looked, and I said, well, you know, i I got to be honest with you, I beauty of Jesus is that we can have hope in these situations because we know Christ. Death, is the, this death in this life is not the end. It's just the beginning. And he looked at me with what I can only describe as fire in his eyes. And he said, I believe in Star Wars too. And I looked and I will tell you right now, my response was not good. I did not appeal to Christ's character. I appealed to his sarcasm and his arrogance, and I began to walk in the flesh of all the reasons that he was wrong. And for my hour and a half to two-hour drive home, I spent that day going, what a foul up for me. This guy got to see not the love of Christ towards the enemies of Christ. What he got to see was a man who was deeply offended because he did not respond to the gospel that I so desperately loved. It wasn't about Jesus. It was about me. And it's a conversation that I replay in my head over and over. You ever have those moments where you're just so wound up tight and you're going, I can't believe he said that garbage. And it went on and on. And I'm like, it should have been over like three minutes in. Like, it's okay. It's okay that you believe in Star Wars. You know? I don't really compare Han Solo to Jesus, but I think Jesus' sword is a lot bigger, better color. You know? I don't know. I mean, Han Solo doesn't even really use a lightsaber. 
What he needed to see was the love of Jesus. What he needed to hear was that Jesus loves his enemies even still. What he needed to hear was a man that had been transformed by the gospel and understood that when the gospel was challenged, it wasn't me personally being challenged, but it was the truth of Christ being challenged. And what he needed to hear was that I was not offended because, you know what? His offense was with God and not with me. See, the truth of the matter is that the enemies of God impute their hate of Christ upon his people. They take their hate because we're in front of them and move it there. We're told in John 15, 18, it says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. We're going to have opposition in this world because of Christ. And people's dislike of Christianity or you because of your beliefs in Christ is not an offense against you, it is an offense against God. It may feel like they're mad and angry at you, but they are mad and angry with God, and God is big enough to deal with it. And God is the only one who can change their hearts to deal with it. See, Ahimelech, Ahimelech says, let not the king impute anything to his servant at all. For your servant has known nothing of all this much or little. He declares his innocence. He knows he's innocent. This is about David and not about him. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5 says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a royal priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What are we to be? We're to be like living stones who are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Guess what? Just like Ahimelech, we are now priests in Christ. We have direct access to God and we ourselves are giving God ourselves as an offering presented to him. The beauty of that is this, that because we're his priests, we're going to get that hatred that's imputed towards us, and we need to be ready for that. We need to not look at the world and constantly go, gosh, it's going to hell in a handbasket. The truth is, it is going to hell, the same way that all of us were going to hell apart from Jesus. So when we say that, we're saying nothing new. It's not profound. It is what it is. The difference in the culture is not those who are going to hell in a handbasket. The difference in the cultures are those who have been plucked out by God's grace. The culture is just being the culture. And as followers of Christ, we have to come to a place where we decide, yes, 
I'm going to be in the culture and I'm going to be salt and light and I am not going to be offended when people challenge my beliefs because that is what they are to do as they serve their own king. As we serve the true king, Jesus, we're called to live differently. And we're called to find our refuge not in the things of this world, not in a location someplace else that makes me feel safer or better, but we're to find our refuge in a person, in Jesus, in the true king. That's where we find our refuge. The third truth about the enemies of God is that the judgment against them will be fulfilled as God has promised Judgment against them we will be fulfilled as God has promised. Judgment is promised. Now, how does this passage bring us to the place of judgment? Well, Ahimelech, in his willingness to stand for the Lord, ironically, even in his death, he too is affirming the truth of Scripture. In 1 Samuel 2, verses 29 through 32, we looked at this several months back, something unique happened. The sons of Eli, who were the priests, were actually using the place of worship as an opportunity for prostitution and to fulfill their sexual desires. They were defiling the house of God. Eli was actually told by God that, guess what? Because you refuse not to confront the issue, you too are guilty of this. And this is what he says. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices, my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling, and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore the Lord God of Israel declares, I promised that your house, Eli, the house of your father, should go in and out before me forever. But now that the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with an envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever." He was cutting off the lineage line of these priests because of their rebellion against God. And here it's fulfilled. Each one of them. God's judgment upon the disobedience of the priests is now fulfilled through this act. Amazing. And what it tells us is that even when we're in the midst of it, God will bring his judgment as promised against those who are doing evil. Whoa. How freeing is that? That's where you can write in the margin of your scriptures when you see God deal with sin and bring about his judgment, just write in there. You can write eventual justice there. You get to release it to God and say, God will deal with it and he will make it right This is an eventual justice. He's saying, wait, but know that I will fulfill my word. And just as I have promised, they will receive 
their rightful judgment. Evil will be judged. And we can know from this passage that even as God is working in this passage, that the enemies of God will be judged. Now, I doubt that Ahimelech thought it was going to be in his time because he wasn't a part of it. But God was fulfilling his word in cutting off that priestly line. 1 Peter 4, and I want to encourage you to write this passage down. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. And I think it's a wonderful one for us. It says this. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fire trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. We need to understand, we need to expect that these things are happening, not be shocked by them. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And it says, and if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Did he say get out? No. He said find your refuge. Find your refuge in Christ. Stay engaged. Why? Be entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Stay engaged. But find your refuge in Christ. So, The passage ends with a wonderful little testimony here. And the truth is, it's hope for the discouraged. But it's also hope for the encouraged. You see, in verse 20 through 23, it says, But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahidab, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Dog the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul... I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me and do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me, you shall be in safekeeping. You see, the true king is the preserver of his kingdom and his followers. The true king is the preserver of his kingdom and his followers. You see, whether we die in this life or whether we live in this life, Jesus is the preserver. The reason that Ahimelech could speak with boldness was because of his faith, because of his confidence of being with God. The reason that we can be bold in our faith in this life, even in the face of the enemies of God, is because our confidence is in Christ as the preserver. He's the one that preserves our life. 
that we have eternal life with him. And so whether we live or we die in this life, he is the preserver. The truth is this, though. Matthew 6.33, it says, we're called to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. What's God's call for us as the discouraged or as the encouraged? We're to seek him and his kingdom first. And it says all these things will be added to you. See, as followers of Christ, we have to be a people who are seeking him first. Not the things of this world, not our families, not our friends, not our relationships, but him and his kingdom. And that when we do that, all these things will be added unto you. Abiathar runs to David. I think it's a wonderful picture. That night with that man, as we sat in the living room and argued, the last thing on my mind was run to Christ. You know what was on my mind? I got this and you're a jerk. God wants us running to him finding refuge in him. And when we find refuge in him, we are then able to love our enemies and pray for them, not hate our enemies and curse them. Abiathar comes to David, and David's simple words, the simple words are, stay with me, do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me, you shall be in safe keeping. Wow. We have a king that's greater than David. And our king, too, is our safekeeper. It's not a place. It's not a house. It's not a building. It's not an army. It's the man named Jesus fully God and fully human, who is the son of the living God who came to save us, to strengthen us, and to empower us to live by his spirit so that his truth might be known to a world that is already hostile to the gospel. A world that is acting simply like itself who God has called us to go and proclaim that there is another way, but more than that, that there is hope. And that hope transcends discouragement, and it transcends distress, and it transcends debt, and it transcends discontentment. Because in Christ, we find that he is our peace, that we have everything that we need, and that he is fully our contentment. Del Davis puts it this way. He says, the people of God may often be put down, but never put out. 
Abiathar's escape does not mean that all God's servants are immune from the world's butchery, but that the world's butchery can never wipe out all of God's servants. The Lord does not promise that we will never die for the kingdom of God, but that the kingdom of God will never die. That's the promise. He is our preserver. May that be our prayer this morning as we remember the work of Jesus, as we prepare for communion, that Jesus is our preserver. And it actually is through the work of the cross, through Jesus' death and resurrection, that on the cross he bore the weight of our sin, he took it all upon himself, and he gave up his life, which was our due punishment for sin, And he died our death. And then he rose again on the third day, defeating the power of death, promising to return again to restore all things for those who have repented and believed on him. May our hope be in the message of Christ and the truth of Christ, not in the situation or circumstances of this world. And may we rejoice that God has told us that this is what it looks like to live in the world. That the world acts in ways that do not honor God. And we should not be shocked and we should not be offended because the world's offense is not with us, it is with the true King, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can sit before you this morning and be reminded of the power of your word, the power of your truth, and the power of your gospel. As we settle our hearts before you this morning for communion, as we come and we remember the work of the cross by taking of communion, may we just rejoice once again over the fact that you've called us to be in the world but not of the world and that God, wherever you have placed us, that our circumstances, situation, town or location are not our source of refuge but you and you alone. What a wonderful truth that wherever we go in this world, 